Amen. Thanks to our team who lead us in worship each week. I'm excited for our time together this morning. We're going to be in the book of Galatians chapter 1. So I invite you to turn there. And while you're doing that, I want to dismiss our kids who are fourth grade and under to head upstairs for our kids' crew worship time. So they're going to make their way to the front here, and then they'll meet with our leaders and head upstairs for kids' crew worship. Great time of worship and teaching that is on their level. While they're doing that, let me go over a couple of other things just briefly this morning. If you're a guest, a newcomer who's worshiping with us today, we want to encourage you to fill out one of these guest registration cards. These are located throughout our sanctuary. You'll find them in the backs of the pews. So wherever you're seated this morning, just reach in front of you, grab one of these registration cards, fill that out, drop that in the offering boxes that are located in the foyer. If you want to do that, then you'll also find that uh, it's just as, it works just as well to give it to our staff if, if you prefer to do that. Uh, but if you would, please fill that out. Get that back to us this morning so that we might know that you're here worshiping with us. On the back side of that, there's a place where you can communicate any prayer needs that you have to us. It's a great way to let us know if there's something that we might pray for you about. You can communicate that to us with the card, all right? Also, a couple of other things just briefly that I want to hit that's more or less procedural uh, or, or informative to get through, and then we'll jump into the text this morning and, and really get into our, our uh, message in Galatians chapter 1. When you came in this morning, you received a worship guide. On the back side of that, you're going to find a place where you can follow along with the message this morning and take a few notes. As we study in Galatians together, there's announcements and other things that are printed on the inside of that for your information. So that's useful. Uh, Certainly that's handy. You're going to want to keep that close so that you can refer to it and know what's going on. And then also, you can always go to our website. It's a great place to find out news and uh, the latest of what's happening in the life of our first family. Go to fbcchickasha.org, and there you'll find all kinds of information about what's happening right now at First Baptist Church. And there are many who are joining us online this morning, perhaps uh, worshiping with us online virtually. And for those of you who have joined virtually this morning through our various streams, be it from our website, social media, other matters, uh, we want to say welcome to you. We're glad to have you with us this morning, glad to have you joining along. And we hope that God uses the message this morning to speak to you as well. And then lest I leave anybody out Uh, I'll also mention our radio broadcast audience. We broadcast each and every week on Cool 105 here in Chickasha and the surrounding area in uh, in within the the listening reach of 105.5. And so welcome to all of our our folks who are joining us this morning on 105.5 FM. All right, into Galatians chapter 1 this morning. You know, I picked this particular text and this particular message for this particular day to go along with just where we are. Hasn't 2020 been? It's been the... uh, the craziest year by, by any measurement that we, would want to, that we would want to use to measure this year and how things have gone, especially when you look at how things have happened this year according to what we planned. Months ago, in the early weeks of 2020, I preached through a sermon series that, that was all about vision. It was all about the vision for where God was leading us and the vision for what we felt like God wanted to do in 2020. And I almost look back on that and laugh now because I think we had no idea in those early days in January of 2020 what was in store for this year and all the things and the twists and turns and the ups and downs that we would be on throughout the, the year. And uh, even this past week, we've felt that with the election and the fact that there were you know, days and days that were, that were uh, 
that we were waiting to hear results and wanting to know what was going to happen. And, and even that just seemed in so many ways fitting for 2020 and all that was going on this year in the sense that uh, if there was ever going to be an election year where things went like they did this year, yeah, it just would fit with all that's going on. And in the midst of all that, in the midst of all the, the chaos and the ups and downs and the twists and turns, I really think that it is so important that we be reminded that as believers in Christ, as followers of Jesus, our lives should be centered on the gospel. That the heart of the gospel should be the heart of who we are as the people of God. And, and, and certainly it's okay to, it's okay to be active in, a, in, in, in our community. It's okay to be active in political arena. It's okay to be active in civic organizations. It's okay to be active uh, in the world around us trying to, uh, to do, change, make change and, and, and impact and influence others and lead the way for good. We ought to be doing all of those things as so many of us are. But it is so easy to allow all of that to be the thing that drives us and lose sight of the fact that what matters the most for us as the people of God is the hope that we have in Jesus. That the gospel, and that word gospel just means the good news. The good news about Jesus Christ should be the driving force of our lives as the people of God. I have no doubt in my mind, I have no doubt in my heart that that God is on his throne. He is just as powerful and just as supreme and just as capable and just as able today as he was a week ago, as he was a hundred years ago, as he was a thousand years ago at the beginning of all time. And, and I'm convinced that he has a plan for us and a purpose for us and a will for our lives. And if we will look to him and if we will follow his direction for our lives... He will continue to lead us. You may not like how the election went. You may not like who is going to be the president or you may not like who's going to be in some other uh, position of government that you voted for. You may not have liked how a certain question uh, was answered with the vote this week or this thing or that or the other. And, and, and there's, nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with being disappointed in, in the process. There's nothing wrong with feeling somehow... Um, Oh, I don't know, if angst, if that's the right word. Uh, it, there's nothing wrong with those things. But let's remember that our hope has never been in a president. Our hope has never been in a country, a political system. Our hope has never been in another person other than our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he is just as sovereign today as he has ever been. And if we will look to him and if we will turn our hearts to him, if we will follow his direction for our lives... I believe that he will continue to lead us in the way that is everlasting. And today, that's what I want to be, the heart of the message. The heart of the gospel is at the heart of what we're going to look at today. And I picked this passage and I picked this text in particular because Paul is writing to a church that has bought into some lies. He's writing to the church in Galatia. We do the background on the churches in Galatia. We understand what's happening. We find that here are believers who have who have bought into a false gospel. They have bought into a lie. And maybe not all of them for sure, but some of them at least, enough that it was beginning to influence the church and it was beginning to influence their thought and their direction and influence their lives and, and importantly, influence their calling. 
And Paul's writing them to them to say, why have you guys done this? Why have you listened? Why have you believed the false gospel? Why have you gone in this direction? He's calling them back to the center, the heart of all things, and he's reminding them where their hope truly lies. And even in these verses that we're going to read together this morning in chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, he says, I can't believe that you so easily followed astray and believing in a false gospel, another gospel, as if there even were one. And he's, and he's reminding them that your hope is in the good news of Jesus Christ. Stay the course. Believe the truth. Reject the lies. Follow God's plan. Do his work. Love other people with the love of Christ. Stay committed to his mission and his purpose for your lives. And I really feel like that, that word will preach anytime, but it especially will preach to us today. And so let's read together in Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Paul writes, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so as the people of God who desire to be servants of Christ, it's important for us to, it's important for us to heed this challenge. Now we know that when Paul wrote this originally, he was writing to a particular group of people in a particular context, who are facing a particular situation and a particular circumstance. And yet, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God intended for this word to speak to us today just as it spoke to, to the original audience then. And through the power of the Holy Spirit this morning, and, and I pray that the word of God would, would, would stir our hearts and would move us and remind us that we are to believe in the good news of Jesus and not anything else and that we aren't, to, we aren't to buy the lie that our hope will come from anything or anyone else. We aren't to buy the lie that something else might satisfy us, something else might make us happy, something else might fix all of the problems. And I don't have to tell you that our world has a lot of problems because you know that it does. All we have to do is open our eyes and look around us, and we find a lot of brokenness in our world. We find a lot of brokenness in our community. And I could tell you story after story of things, even just in this last week, in the life of people in our church and, and the things that they're wrestling through. And, and, and that's just the stuff that I know about. And I know that you know of plenty of other things that I'm not even aware of. All we have to do is look around us in the world and we see that there's a lot of brokenness and a lot of pain. We look in the world and we say, there, this world is broken. It's fallen. It's affected by sin and the consequences of sin and, and an enemy that is, work to is at work to steal, kill, and destroy. And yet even in the midst of that, even in the midst of that truth, there is a hope. There is an answer. There is a promise. It's the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. And if we trust in him, it's not a, it's, it's not a magic uh, cure-all. It's not a quick fix. It's not, a, it's not easy believism, you, you understand. It doesn't mean that you trust in Jesus and all of your problems just melt away. No, that, 
That isn't true at all. And yet, the only thing that can truly give us hope, the only thing that can truly be our anchor in the storm, the only thing that can truly, that can truly sustain us and give us life is the power of the gospel. And so we're going to talk about this morning. What is the gospel? How do we trust in it? And what power does it have to bring us hope and life and peace in the midst of the day in which we live? So there are four things that, that I think we see. Four, you, you see there are four points, of course, to the message this morning. Four things that I think we see in this text that, that we need to understand in order to keep in order to keep our focus on the gospel, in order to keep our eyes fixed on the good news of Jesus Christ, we need to understand these four things. That we might, as Paul so poignantly for us writes here, that we might not turn aside or turn to a different gospel as if there even were one. That we might keep our eyes fixed on the good news of Jesus. The first thing that we do is we recognize the lies. Now, we live in a day when there are a lot of people who preach a false gospel. And sadly, that happens even inside of Christian churches. That, that there are many people who, who preach a false gospel. There are many people who, who preach that if you trust in Jesus, then you're going to have everything you've ever wanted. If you trust in Jesus, then, then you're going to have all the money that you could want. All your problems will go away. Everything will be, yes, every day will be a better day than the day before. You'll never get sick. You'll never worry. You'll never have any troubles. You'll never have any problems or any pains. And the problem with that is, of course, that that just does not, that does not align with what the Bible teaches. In fact, when you really dig in and you really study the New Testament, you find that the Bible teaches what in many ways we might even consider to be the opposite of that idea. The Bible teaches that in spite of the pains, in spite of the problems, in spite of the sufferings, in spite of the challenges, in spite of opposition, we are still called to stand our ground and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that we will face difficulties. We will face opposition in this world. And even in the midst of that, we're called to be light in the darkness. We're called to be salt in the midst of this world, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Salt and light. There are many people who would distort the gospel for their own gain. To try to use it as a, as a means of some kind of self-interest. To uh, perhaps grow the size of their church. Or gain a certain number of followings. Or build uh, a social platform. Or even for just the, the good old uh, tried and true things like money and power. There are people who would, who would try to distort the gospel in such a way that they, would, that they would rally people together, that they would gain an audience, that they would build a crowd, and yet that's not how you build the church. The church is built on the idea of sacrifice and discipline and, and surrendering our lives to Christ and following after him, dedicating our life to him, living in obedience to his truth, offering all that we have to him, understanding that he's going to call us out of what's comfortable into what might be difficult or painful, that he's going to lead us away from, at times, away from what to us might seem like uh, the, the, the way to go because God knows what we don't and he sees what we don't and he has a plan that, that is greater than what we might want in any given moment. We have to recognize the lies. There's an easy way, uh, a litmus test of sorts, 
that you can use to ask yourself the question, how do I know if what I'm believing is a lie or the truth? How do I know if what I'm believing is a false gospel? How do I know if it's a lie? Uh, the, the easiest way that I know to say that is just simply that you need to compare, you need to compare it against the word of God. You need to compare the teaching. Compare, pick any, any preacher, pick me. Pick, pick any of my sermons, any of my messages, any of my teaching, and compare it against what the Word of God teaches. Because the Word of God stands true. It's timeless. It's true. It has stood the test of time. It will stand the test of time. Well beyond me and anything that I might preach. And in fact, the reason that I stand before you week after week and preach from the Word of God is because I'm convinced that the only thing that I have to offer you that has the power to transform your life and give you hope and life and peace is, is the Word of God. Not the word of Michael. The word of Michael is fallen because I am fallen. The word of Michael is inadequate because I am inadequate. But the word of God has the power to withstand all that we might throw against it, all that this world might bring against it. And so you need to compare it against the word of God. Compare the teaching. Of course, if you're to do that, that means you've got to study the Word of God. You've got to know the Word of God. You've got to spend time in the Word of God. You've got to read the Word of God in order that you might know. But that's what it comes down to ultimately. And in fact, really, in, in, in all actuality, part of the reason that we find so many led astray today is because they, they don't know the Word of God. That's really what it comes down to. There is such a, a biblical illiteracy that is rampant in Christian culture and in, in so many of our churches today with people who don't know the Word of God. And that's the reason why they are so easily led astray. I want to challenge you that you would know the Word of God, that you would spend time in the Word of God, that you would study it. It's never been easier than it is today, but that doesn't mean that it's easy, right? It's never been easier. There are so many ways, so many avenues, so many things available today. You can literally have an app on your phone that will ding in the morning and say, it's time to read the Bible, and you click on that, and you open up and push a button, and it will read it to you. It's never been easier than it's been now, and yet it's not easy, is it? Because anytime you sit down to study the Word of God, anytime you sit down to read the Word of God, there are going to be distraction. There are going to be things that, you know, the phone's going to ring. The thoughts are going to run through your mind of all the other things that you have to do. Something's going to happen. Something's going to clamor or clang. Something's going to, right? That's the way. Just expect that to be true because the enemy isn't going to willingly stand by and say, okay, well, let's let you, you just go ahead and grow in your faith. He's going to throw every opposition, everything against you that he can. You've got to You've got to be committed. You've got to persist. You've got to make up your mind that you're going to study the Word of God, that you're going to press on. You know, years ago, after World War II, really at the close, closing of World War II, when Allied troops discovered the, uh, the concentration camp Auschwitz and they, and they liberated Auschwitz, they, they found that above the entrance to Auschwitz was, were, were the words that said, uh, work makes you free. Arbit macht frei. Forgive my German if that's not very good, but work makes you free was, was what it said. And yet, that was completely a lie, wasn't it? No one was sent into a concentration camp in order to work and earn their freedom. They were sent to concentration camps to be punished and to be killed 
That's exactly what the enemy would do to us. He would have us labor under the idea that if you just try harder, if you just do more, if you just work, just work a little bit more, try a little bit harder, be a little bit better, be a little more good than you are today, then you'll have what it takes then it'll be enough. Then you'll, then, then you'll be satisfied. All of those, all the, the fear and the worry, the stress, the anxiety will go away if you were just a little bit better and a little bit more. And the problem is it's a lie from the enemy that would, that would keep you trapped, that would keep you enslaved in a system where you're always working, always striving, always falling short because you're on your own. You will never be enough. You will never be good enough. You will never do enough good things. You will never be righteous enough. You will never have enough strength, never have enough power, never have enough time, never have enough hope, never have enough money. And yet the enemy would convince us all it takes is just a little bit more. False gospels always center around this idea of works rather than grace. You see? Try a little more, work a little harder, do a little more, be a little better. But you understand the reason that Jesus died on the cross was not to make you good. It wasn't because you you just weren't good enough. The reason that Christ died on the cross is because you were dead. And there was no way to set you free apart from someone who would be willing to pay the price. And so Jesus stood in your place. Not to make you better. Not so that you could not so that you could work a little harder and be a little so that you could be free. And if we're going to be free in Jesus, we've got to recognize the lies. And the way that we, the only way that we can do that is we've got to know the truth. I always go back to this. Years ago, I served on staff at a church in Oklahoma City, Council Road Baptist Church. And we had a room at Council Road Baptist Church that, that we called Maroney Hall. Maroney Hall was named after a man named Mickey Maroney. Mickey Maroney was a Secret Service agent who served under the first Bush and in uh, the Clinton administrations in the Secret Service. And uh, Mickey Maroney taught college Sunday school at Council Road. And in one of the great Sunday school lessons of all time, right, one of the most epic, uh, I mean, so, so impactful, in fact, that this happened in the early 1990s, I believe 1992, in and around 1992. I didn't serve on staff at Council Road until the years 2000 to 2010. And so... Years later, people were still talking about Mickey Maroney and this one Sunday school lesson that he taught because he brought in, on this particular day, he brought in a stack of counterfeit $100 bills. And he said to his college students that he taught, if one of you can pick out which one of these is the counterfeit bill, you can keep it. And so, and he gave them a stack of $100 bills and said, find the one that's fake and it's yours. Uh, and, or find the one that's right, rather, in the midst of the fakes and it's yours. And no one could do it. And, and Mickey took that stack of counterfeits and he laid them out on a table and he scanned them and he found it and he said, this is the one. And the reason that he had done that is because he had been trained, of course. He had been trained. But Mickey said that the way that they teach us to spot counterfeit bills is not by showing us all of the things that could be wrong and all the different ways that you can counterfeit money because it's too much and it's too impossible, it's too hard to keep up. He said the way that they train us is that they, they teach us how to know the real thing when we see it. We study everything that there is to know about a genuine U.S. bill, about a genuine U.S. currency, so that when we see something that, is, that isn't genuine, we can spot it right away. And isn't that true that 
for us, the way that we recognize the lies is not by listening to all the lies and trying to pick out what's true and what's not. It's by knowing the truth, knowing what is true so that when we hear something that's a lie, we can recognize it. We can spot it right away for what it is. We have to know what's true in order that we might recognize the lies. Secondly, as we recognize the lies, we are to reject false teaching. And so in this passage, in these verses, two different times, Paul says, if someone should come, even if it's an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. In other words, don't listen. Reject him. Even if it's an angel who would preach to you a false gospel, reject that false teaching, reject that false We've got to recognize the lie in order that we can reject false teaching. Not only that we would reject false teaching, but I, I think importantly with that, we would reject false teachers as well, that we wouldn't listen to them. We wouldn't listen to their lies. We wouldn't listen to their teaching. Instead, we would believe in the truth. Anyone who would preach a false gospel is... is should be rejected. We should reject their truth. Anyone who would, who would propagate the lies, who would, who would convince you that all you need to do is work a little harder, try a little more, be a little better. Anyone who would say, trust Jesus and all the problems go away. Anyone who would say to you, well, you know, there's, there's, there's coming to church and there's doing those things, but then you've also got to, you got to do your part as well. Anybody who would present any kind of a gospel that isn't the truth, we ought to reject their teaching and reject the teacher as well. That we would only believe the truth. Recognize the lies. Reject false teachings. Remember the truth. That we would remember the truth. That we would remember the truth. That we would hold on to the gospel, the good news. What is the gospel? If we're going to remember the truth, it's important that we know the truth, isn't it? So let me spend a moment and let's walk through the gospel together. Let's walk through the good news together. There are any number of great ways that you can present the gospel. There are any number of effective methods. And so I don't mean to say that there's only one method and there's only one way, but I want to give you my favorite method for presenting the gospel because there are four statements that they rhyme and I like things that rhyme and alliterate. That helps us remember things, right? It's good for memory. But there are four statements that we can remember. And because they rhyme, because they go together, I think it helps us to navigate the story of the gospel. By the way, uh, if you want, there are, there are any number of great passages of Scripture that you can turn to if you want to know the gospel. John 3.16 is a great one, is it not? Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 Verse 21 is one of my favorites. Knowing the Romans road, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 8, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Romans 10, 9 and 10. That's walking through the Romans road. That's great. There's, there's any number of great ways that we can anchor our presentation of the gospel to the word of God, the truth. John chapter 1, verse 12, to anyone who believed him, who received his word, he gave the right to become children of God. There, there, there are so many great ways that we can that we can present the gospel, that we can point to the scripture. But this particular method, I I think, gives us sort of this sweeping picture from creation to Christ. And so it goes like this. First of all, that we understand, we understand his position, 
His position means God's position, that God is holy and just. When we understand the gospel, the good news, we need to know his position, that a holy and just God created this world, spoke this world into existence, that he made all things, and in, all thing, in him all things dwell, the Bible teaches us. And so as a holy and just God, as a holy and just God, he is sovereign over this world, sovereign over his creation. But secondly, we understand my condition. The problem is that you and I have sinned, that I have sinned, that I have fallen in my sin. We know that the Bible even says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so God is glorious in his position. He, he, is, he, he is incredible. He's, he's glorious. He's above all of creation and all, all of, of, of humanity. And yet the problem is we are fallen. My condition is that I've fallen. I've sinned. I've rebelled against God. But God in his great love for us sent Jesus to die on the cross that he might forgive us of our sin, that he might pay the price for us. And so Jesus offered his life on the cross. He was buried and on the third day he resurrected, conquering sin and death. That's his provision. His provision that God made a way for us to be forgiven and set free in Jesus. And then ultimately we are faced with a choice. That's my decision. You and I, we have to make the choice. Will I surrender my life? Will I trust in Jesus by faith? Will I come to him and acknowledge my sin, ask for his forgiveness, confess him as Lord and Savior of my life, and make the decision to walk for him all of my days? That's my decision. So his position, my condition, his provision, my decision. We, we want to know the gospel. We want to know this Jesus by faith. However you might present the gospel in whatever way you might point to the gospel. It's important that you know the gospel. It's important that you know the truth. That a loving God paid the price for sin, for your sin, for my sin. And if we would turn to him in faith, we can be forgiven and set free. Our sins washed away and we receive a new life, the promise of eternal life by faith in Jesus. It's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, but it always brings us to the point of decision. That we have to commit, we have to decide to follow him, which really is brings us to the fourth point that we see. If we're going to keep the gospel at the heart of who we are, at the heart of what we believe, and the heart of what we do, then we have to respond to grace. We have to respond to God's gift of grace. We respond to his gift of grace by surrendering our lives to Jesus, by turning to him in faith. Paul writes here this question, am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, you cannot, you cannot follow man and, and that, whether that means uh, someone else or even yourself, you cannot follow uh, you, you cannot follow after a man, a humankind, uh, any, any person, and truly be a servant of Christ. Because there can only be one, one Lord of your life. There can only be one master of your heart. And either it will be Jesus or it will be something or someone else. But it cannot be both. You must make a decision. Will you respond to grace by making Jesus the Lord of your life, by trusting in him, by following him by faith? Will you respond to his love, his grace, his gospel by surrendering your life to him. 
Him who called you, as he writes here, in the grace of Christ. Him who called you in the grace of Christ. If we're going to respond by faith to Jesus in the gospel, then we would respond to his grace by surrendering our lives to him, by trusting him as Lord and Savior. Has there ever been that moment in your life when you've trusted Jesus by faith, when you've surrendered your life to him? Do you know that you know? Are you certain that you have trusted in Christ by faith, that you've surrendered your life to him, and that you are now walking with him? Notice, I didn't ask Do you ever sin? Do you ever mess up? Do you stumble and fall? Because I know the answer to that already. You do. I do. We all do. I didn't ask, are you a good person? I didn't ask, does your good outweigh your bad? I didn't ask, do you try hard? Do you show up in church? Do you give your tithe? I didn't ask any of those things because that's not the measure of genuine faith. The true mark of faith is, have you responded in faith to Jesus by surrendering your life to him? Have you made him the Lord and Savior of your life? Have you trusted him for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you responded to his gift of grace? Today, perhaps, if you sense that God is speaking to you, that he's stirring your heart, and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, then in a moment we're going to have a time of invitation, a time where we respond to this message. And I would encourage you that you would come forward during our invitation. I'll be standing here at the front. Brad will be here at the front as the song plays and as we sing. Come to us and say, I'm ready to respond to grace. Put it in your own words, however you might say it. I'm ready to trust Jesus. I'm ready to believe in Christ. I want to surrender my life to him. But if that's you today and you sense that that God is stirring, that he's speaking to you, that you would respond to him by grace, then would you make today the day that you trust in Jesus, that you admit your sin, that you believe in his power to forgive sin and confess him as the Lord and the Savior of your life. If that's you, then I pray that you would come in a moment as we sing that song of invitation. And maybe maybe this morning the way that God is speaking to you is, is perhaps different than that. Maybe what the Lord is speaking to you today is, is he's, he's sounding that call. He's reminding you The gospel needs to be at the heart of who you are and the heart of what you do. That every day when you wake up, when your feet touch the floor, that you have been given another opportunity to live for Jesus, to live for Christ, to to be a witness for his gospel, to share the good news of Christ with others. That every day that you're alive, every day that your heart is beating is another day, another opportunity to live on mission for him, to love people to Christ and to multiply disciples for his kingdom. And maybe... Maybe you'd be willing to admit that lately it's just maybe it's been something else that's been driving you. It's not that you set out to do that. It wasn't a purposeful and intentional. But just over time, there's just been a subtle drift. And God is calling you back today to say, make the gospel, make the the, the good news of Christ, the the message of the gospel, the mission of God, make that the, the heart of who you are. And if that's you today, and, and you want to make that the heart of who you are, then I would encourage you during our invitation that you would respond. You can come and use the steps here of our stage as an altar where you might dedicate your heart to the Lord. You can come, let our staff pray with you. Let us encourage you in whatever way God is leading you. Maybe you want to grab someone else in the room and say, would you pray with me? Would you, would you go with me to pray? However God might be stirring, I want to encourage you that you would respond in obedience to him. That you would say, Lord, I want to make the gospel the heart of who I am. That I might live every day on mission for you. Would you be willing to 
Make your days count for his kingdom by making the gospel the thing that that, that drives you, making it the heart of who you are. I pray that that would be true of you today. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we bow our heads and close our eyes? We want to use this moment to pause and to ask God to speak to us, to ask him to stir our hearts, to move in us, that we might that we might respond to his word of truth today. Lord, as we come before you this morning in this moment of response, we pray that you would move in our midst. God, that you would stir our hearts to respond to your gospel. Help us to recognize the lies that would lead us astray. Stir our hearts to reject false teaching and false teachers, that we might remember the truth, that we might make that our focus, to live for you, to live for your truth, that we might respond to grace as we, as we dedicate our lives to you. That the gospel might be truly the heart of who we are, the thing that, that's driving us. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the hope that we have in you, Jesus, because you made a way for us to be forgiven and set free. Move in us, stir in us now that we would respond to that word of truth, that grace. We pray in your name. Amen.